Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Hope you guys are doing well. I know some of you are on summer vacation, so maybe you're hearing this when you got back, or maybe you took us with you. Either way, just want to big a shout out to the Demand Gen Radio community, and I hope you guys are having a great summer, spending some good family time, had a good Father's Day, all that good stuff. And thank you again for tuning in. Uh, back on the program, I'm continuing to bring practitioners on for you so you can hear about what your colleagues and peers are doing out there. And today joining me is David Portnowitz. And Dave is the chief marketing officer at Star to Star Communications. And I said, David, when I said your name, and then I said, Dave, which, you know, people, Dave, to me all the times go, is it Dave or is it David? What do you say when people ask you that? I have different answers. I say whatever, whatever flows their boat. I, I don't, I'm, I don't have a preference. I, I answer to either. Uh, so whatever you want to call me, maybe, maybe we should differentiate Dave and David. I'll, I'll be David. You be Dave. How All right. That sound? Sounds good. It's weird because in my signature, <laughs> like you have, uh, you write David and I write yeah. David, but I say Dave cause it's shorter. Like it's, it's like the acronym for my name is just Dave. It's just easier. But... <laughs> Cuts off that one letter. It's so integral to get rid of that one letter like Mike, Michael, Steve, Steven, all of that good stuff. But uh, anyway, Dave, thanks for joining, or David. You're going to be David today. I'm Dave. We already established that. <laughs> okay. Um, for the people who don't know you, uh, David, why don't you give us a little bit about your background? You're now, as I said, Chief Marketing Officer at Star to Star Communications. You've been there uh, oh, coming up on six years, but you've got a background that's a little different than B2B marketing. So it'd be good for people to get that, that context. Take us, take us through it. Yeah, I do. It's uh, when I tell people, they're always like, "How did you end up here?" So I actually I went to school for uh, for sport, for exercise and sports science and sports marketing. I ended up um, at at the at IMG Academy, which is a subdivision of IMG Worldwide, which is a, the largest uh, rights holder of sports properties and sports uh, licensing and agency in the world, owned now by. Ari Emanuel, or uh, yeah, Ari Emanuel, who um, who owned WME and the famous uh, character from uh, Entourage, Ari was based on, and brother of Rahm Emanuel was the former chief of staff for Barack Obama. So yada yada yada. The uh, company IMG, I worked for for almost ten years. I uh, started there working for a in the tennis division, and I worked for a tennis coach named Nick Bolitari, who was a very famous tennis coach, uh, who coached uh, Maria Sharapova and the Williams sisters and Andre Agassi and Jim Courier and all sorts of, and I, and I sort of started traveling the world with him. I got to go to Wimbledon and the French open and got to go to a bunch of tennis tournaments all over the world. It was pretty cool. Um, and then I uh, transitioned more into do digital marketing and then um, was there pretty much running um, their digital marketing. When I was there, I, you know, it was the beginning of the Twitter and Facebook, and I literally built the first Twitter page and Facebook page for the Academy and for nice. Nick and for some of the different athletes and celebrities that we had come through. And it was all at a time when we, we didn't know, you know, half of what we know now in that space. And uh, when I started there, you know, they didn't have uh, an e-commerce platform and things like that. They weren't doing any advertising online. So really um, a great experience for me because I kind of built everything from the ground up. 
with the team there and, and was there for, like I said, almost 10 years on um, the B2C side and really focused on youth sports. And then I got an opportunity to come to start a star in uh, what it was, I guess it was November of 2013, maybe late October, 2013. And got a call from, from a woman named Michelle Accardi, who's the president here at the time. She was the uh, chief marketing officer and she was looking for someone to head up the digital marketing efforts. And I was looking for a new challenge and, um, I've always had a, a passion for technology, and I didn't know what I was getting into, but um, I thought it would be interesting. And six years later, here I am I'm, uh, as, a, as a chief marketing officer, and I've really enjoyed learning about channel marketing and marketing through partners. And you know, when I first came here, I thought, oh gosh, this will be simple. It's so much easier than than the B two C side. And <laughs> you know, I, I you know I know how to turn all those levers, and then little did I know, like five minutes in, I, or maybe six months in, I should say. I was like, oh God, like there's this is a much smaller market, much more niche, much more uh, harder to find who you're going after, but, uh, but a, a great challenge. Uh, and now I lead a team here of about 12 uh, on the marketing side and, and we're a hundred percent indirect channel company. So we only sell through partners, which makes it a little bit more fun and a little bit more challenging, but um, keeps us on our toes. So that's a little bit about me. Cool. Yeah, for those who don't know Start a Star, you might be uh, familiar with the brand Zoom and Ring Central and competitors of Start a Star Communications. So uh, David and the team are all about cloud communication solutions. And as you heard, very different go-to-market strategy than the competitors I just mentioned, because these guys sell through the channel. So imagine all of you marketers out there that the demand you're generating comes in and that demand has got to been has to be triaged out to various partners and, and sold through the partner channel. So David and the marketing team there really have different, uh, different flow than many of you are used to, especially those of you in SaaS who are selling direct to customers. Presents a whole new set of challenges, certainly from attribution and from lead and account management. So uh, Dave, very cool to have you on the program. Love the fact that you've got that B2C background. That was one of the reasons I was super excited because I hope a lot of what we talk about today brings into that experience that you had from that. Because I think B2C is always way ahead of B2B marketing in some ways, and they do marketing oftentimes better. I'm not being critical of B2B marketing. I'm just saying that, you know, from my experience working a bit in B2C and working with B2C clients, it's just a different game and it's a different mindset and how campaigns are put together. And where to start is my experience has been when you're in. B2C, especially as you were working with sports teams and in the sports industry, you act like an agency, right? You're on call mm-hmm. every minute of the day, and you never know when that client of yours is going to drop that, hey, we want to do a Super Bowl commercial this year, pull the team together, or uh, we've, we're now sponsoring this tournament and we've got to do X, Y, and Z. So you're you're in proactive mode because you're helping them achieve their initiatives and goals, but you're also always in hyper reactive mode because B2C moves so fast and just at a different pace of B2B. So how do you, how do you run the marketing uh, department and, and team there, your team at 12 at Star to Star? Anything from B2C that, that brought over to your B2B life? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and you're absolutely correct. In the B2C world, it is, it is incredibly fast paced. It is a lot of, uh, you know, try and fail and try and fail. And then, and then if you find something that sticks, go with it. And, 
and really try to be very, very agency focused, like you said. And that's how I've brought the team on here, which is to be incredibly service minded. You know, we are, we, we serve sort of three clients. I, I like to I say we have our partner community, which is basically our number one client. We are their full service agency. So whatever they need, whether that's, you know, email marketing or that's video production or that's event support or that's cold calling, lead gen, whatever the case they need, we're going to provide that for them. You know, we, we're going to either do it internally, we're going to outsource it, we're going to find someone to do it for them. We're going to, we're going to encourage them to use MDF or co-op dollars to do that. Um, you know, we have done, we've done everything here and that, and that sort of makes it a little bit more fun. The next, the next client we serve is our sales team, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are providing content for them to go out and, A, recruit new partners, so find, find new folks to sell our product, and then, B, keep um, our current set of partners happy, keep top of mind with those partners, and then, C, provide content for those partners to go out and sell and, and give our sales team the right materials to go with the partners and sort of co-sell. And then our last client would be the company overall. So, you know, as the company needs, you know, we're going to host a party internally or we need a a handbook or a new logo or business card, you know, things like that. The marketing team provides that as well. So we really serve three clients um, and we try to be as responsive as humanly possible. Um, I'm a big proponent of pushing the team, even if they don't know the answer, reply quickly. Let someone know that they have it. You know, let, let the team know you're taking care of it and then follow up, follow up, follow up. I find that you know, a lot of times the customer service is really, really lacking from a follow-up. I mean, I can tell you, you know, I don't know how many times, I'm sure you've experienced it. Maybe you, you go out and you make a purchase of something and you're, and you're waiting for installation for, I don't know, carpet or something like that. And you, you, you're like, okay, they're supposed to call me today and give me an installation time. And then you never hear from anybody yeah. two days later, you're having to call them. It's a pain in the butt. And it's, and it's simple customer service that is really, really lacking in a lot of organizations. So I try to put that at the forefront. Like, even if we don't know the answer, just, just reply back and say, you know what? I don't know. It's not even a marketing question. But you know what? We'll go find the answer for you and we'll provide you with something or we'll point you in the right direction but we're, and we're going to do it quickly. So I'm a big proponent of that. My team has really picked that up. They know that if no one replies within like 10 minutes, if someone sends a note to the marketing sort of group email and no one replies within 10 minutes, I'm on there. I'm on them like, who, who's got this? Who's got this? <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I, I sort of uh, have drilled that in and I think that's led to our success. You know, we one of the things that in this in this industry you talked about the UC space, it's very you know a lot of it is getting commoditized. You know the, the pricing is getting commoditized, the feature sets getting commoditized. But where can you stand out? And one of the areas we can stand out in is marketing, is customer support, is is being friendly, right. is being easy to do business with. So that's what we try to do. Your view, David, and I appreciate you sharing that. You know you're an agency to your sales team and to the partner channel, you, you partner channel, you put first, then the sales team and then the company. Some of the folks listening in may not totally feel comfortable with that. And what, what I'm saying is there's so much messaging, even from me, certainly that marketing and sales needs to be one team, you know, with one set of goals and objectives that they're working together to drive growth. And I've seen over time that if marketing it's almost that like if they're viewed as lower on the org chart and then it's a sales driven organization and marketing is subservient or a service bureau, 
like the kinkos within uh, the organization that that they have a different viewpoint of of their significance in driving revenue and growth but you have this very customer centric mindset and let's deliver and support these organizations that are driving growth and revenue especially the partner channel so thoughts about how people might think about what you're sharing in terms of hey we're the agency with inside the organization serving them <laughs> well to me it's pretty simple i mean it comes down to if i don't serve the partner community there's no star to star, right? Yeah. <laughs> and where do my paychecks come from? They come from they you know they come from revenue generated from the partner. So in a, in a lot of organizations, obviously the you know your your inside sales team or your outside sales team is going to be the folks that you are most concerned with and most sort of as you said um, subservient to. Well, for us, it's that partner base. We have to be in touch with them nonstop. We have to understand what their needs are and be able to provide them with content. Here's here's the deal. A lot of them come to us. They have an idea. They're, a lot of these partners are, they can be small to medium-sized businesses. They may not have a marketing department. They may have, they may have really strong sales and tech leadership in their company, but they don't have the expertise in marketing. We want to be sort of an outside, outsourced marketing department for them, mm-hmm. but they don't have to worry about that. So they can come to us and find turnkey, demand gen, um, uh, campaigns and 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 brochures, and if they have an opportunity that's right in front of them, a lot of times you know these companies they come to us and they go, "Gosh, you know, I have this opportunity. It's for X amount of seats, and it's three seven locations, and I can close it tomorrow. But I really need this PowerPoint or this this PDF on this product, and they're really interested. You have that. A lot of times we do, and sometimes we don't. And if we don't, we will create it and we'll create it quickly and we'll create it so that multiple companies can use it. We don't, we don't do anything one-off because we know that if partner X has this issue, partner Y is going to have that issue today, tomorrow, or six months from now. Yeah. So we create it with the idea in mind that it can be used down the road by another partner so that it's co-brandable, so that it's editable, so that it can be, you know, it can be changed out with a couple of words here and there and it can be reused. So that that's... That's our philosophy on that kind of stuff, and and the team is is like I said, very responsive, um, and, and and also very willing to help. And I think that's a that's a huge huge part of what we do. That's cool. We years ago, and when I say years ago, probably was a decade ago. Got a call from Cisco, and uh, one of the gals there ran the channel program. It was it was her responsibility for all the MDF programs and the co marketing programs for channel partners. And she reached out to us because she said, look, what I want to do is have you guys be our agency to support these guys. She's like, I don't have a team internally mm-hmm. that knows how to use our marketing automation system, that knows how to build and launch these campaigns. And I want to go to our partners and say, hey, listen, if you want, uh, we'll build and execute your campaigns for you and you can use your MDF dollars for it. So we were using their marketing automation system, Cisco's, to launch these uh, programs and campaigns for the partners. And it was, it was really cool to watch them see the success of the demand that was getting generated. And some of them actually went on to invest more in digital where they had never done any digital marketing ever. It was all sales driven, uh, face-to-face selling for them building their business. But Cisco kind of showed them the way and we were, it was cool that we were a part of it. Back on this, uh, the agency mindset, the agency within, when you guys have all these different requesters, if you will, people coming to you for this, that, and the other thing, you, you don't have infinite time. You don't have infinite resources and budget. How do you approach it? What advice do you have for marketers out there that are struggling with the same type of things? Like there's only so much time and resources in a day, and yet 
this product manager has got this new thing coming out and these this group over here wants this campaign and these people want this. So you're constantly getting um, asked by either sales individuals or different parts of the organization for support for marketing. How do you, how do you balance it? Great question. Prioritizing is, <laughs> I don't know, they can look at it either way. A lot of what I do most of the day is prioritizing for my team, for the outside resources, for my boss, getting priorities handed down. You know, it, that, that's, it. that's a major part of sort of uh, my, my daily routine. So I think, I think you, you got to understand where the opportunities lie. You know, we are not a, we are not a non-for-profit company and uh, we have to think like that. So if an opportunity comes to us and it's a partner who's got a huge thing and right in front of them, you know, we're going to, we might drop everything we're doing to do that because if it's going to result in, you know, a big sale or something like that, then we're going to prioritize. If, you know, if a salesperson's coming to us and says, you know, it'd be really nice to have a, a PowerPoint on this topic, you know, we might say, okay, that's great. Let's, let's shelve that. And we'll come back to that in two or three weeks when we have more, um, more cycles, more bandwidth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's not, there's not an exact science to it, really, Dave. I mean, it's really trying to understand where the opportunities lie and how do you make the most of what you got in front of you today. You know, I try, you know, I guess one thing all teams hate is to, is to do fire drills. Like, yeah. I, I completely understand that. I don't like doing them either. But sometimes there are certain situations you can't avoid. You know, your boss comes to you and says, look, this is, this is really important. Drop everything you're doing and do this. We try not to do those kinds of things, but let's listen, let's, let's be real. They happen. Um, so I, I, I try to set the tone. I try to be, um, you know, I try to set expectations very, very early. You know, if someone comes to me from sales and they say, look, I need, I need this. I'll say like, look, Hey, Mr. Sales guy, Mr. Sales, uh, you know, Mrs. Sales girl, I, we, we can't do that today. We'll get to it in a week. And I think you can only build the reputation over time that they're going to trust you. It's going to get done. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, ha- having been here for six years and having a very you know, team that hasn't had a lot of turnover, they trust us that, you know what, they're not going to just drop it. Um, so I, you know, I, I kind of think it has, you, know, you kind of build a reputation of, look, I ask them for it and they'll get to it and they may not have it today, but they're going to let me know they don't have it today. And they're going to set some realistic expectations that, you know, I'm going to have it in two to three weeks or I'm going to have it in two to three days or two to three hours. Yeah. So that, that's my best advice. I mean, it's not, it's not a clear cut, you know, it's not hundred percent accurate every time, but you really have to, you know, you mentioned it, you have to be aligned with your sales organization. And sometimes when I don't know what the priority should be, I go to my boss and I say, Hey, uh, Michelle, you know, what, what should we work on first? And yeah. she'll say to me, you know what? do this, 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 you know, sometimes I get it wrong. She says to me, David, yeah. <laughs> don't do it like that. Do this Dang. one first. <laughs> That's <laughs> when you get the David for sure is when you're in trouble. It's always David when you're in trouble. I, what That's I hear right. and I hope people are hearing is, you know, as a guy who spent seven years at IMG on the agency side, you learned how to serve, you learned how to react, you learned how to deliver and, and customer experience, whoever the customer was internal, external, really great passion of yours. And now you've been at Start a Star for almost six years and had great success there. Um, started as a VP of marketing, now chief marketing officer. So, you know, you are wired to serve your team members and care a lot about that. And that extends out to the, the channel and uh, clearly paying dividends in terms of your success and uh, reputation among the team. I got another question for you though, because you come from agency land and you're cranking stuff out all the time. Uh, 
I never liked the art of, of marketing growing up. I just, uh, <laughs> and I, and for me, it was because I never knew when to finish a project, right? If I, if I was working yeah. on a new website or a new brochure or a new campaign, there's always something else you can do. Like with event marketing, oh my God, like my OCD oh, yeah. is just full force when events, because I want every detail to just be exceptional, to be perfect and have people have the most wonderful experience. And I'm blessed that I've got an incredible marketing team at Demand Gen who just does it phenomenal. And I remember talking with our visual designer at Demand Gen and I said, you know, you, you turn my decks around so fast and they look so good. <laughs> how do you know when to stop? Like how, how do you just stop dinking with the graphics and, and say, okay, I'm done and move on to the next project? And she was like, well, part of it's because I just need to move on to the next project. I got other stuff to do. I can't work on one thing forever. And then, you know, part of it was just like knowing when, when, when to be done. Yeah. How, do, how have you dealt with that in your career? What advice do you have in terms of, of knowing when, when it's enough? Great question. And I, I, I'm a big proponent of this and, and my team will, will tell you, I talk about it all the time is perfect is the enemy of good. Um, you know, if yeah. you're trying to continue to iterate on, on a document, on a, on, a, on a PowerPoint presentation, on an event forever, I mean, you're never going to get it out the door. I, I want to make sure things are good enough to go, and then I let them go. And then we will listen to feedback from sales, from the company, from our partners, and then we'll iterate, we'll make changes, and then we'll move on. I think, you know, marketing has obviously become much more of a science over the last 10 years. You can test things a lot easier. You can understand, you can collect feedback easier. For us, what we can't do is provide enough content for our partners and our sales team without, without like, I mean, there's just, there's no limit to how much stuff they want. Yeah. And so if you sit there and you try to iterate on a document with mm -hmm. a picture, and if you're going to try to, is it, do I want this to be red or green or blue or I, I don't care. I don't like, I want it to look good. I want it to be grammatically correct. I want it to have all the correct content. I want to make sure it's signed off by our product owner and our sales team and our legal team and things like that. And then once it does all those things and it checks those boxes, I let it go out the door. And then if it comes back a week later and says, you know what, it's not really resonating with the right customers. It's missing this and this and this. You know, the image we're hearing is not, it's not capturing. Then, you know, then we'll change it. But, you know, a lot of times you can spend hemming and hawing over stuff that people will end up never reading. No. No, <laughs> and, and so you, you really just have to keep, keep the train moving. And, yeah. it's, and, you know, it is a delicate balance because, you know, I've got two graphic people on my team and we use a couple of outside agencies for some graphic support. And you could go back and forth for days, for weeks, Infinite. for months yeah. on trying to figure out. And I, I really, it really, that the whole process just drives me insane. I'd rather just get it, make it look good, make it look professional, make it slick, make it modern, and then let's get it out the door. Um, and that's benefited the whole company. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's nice to have a, a team of management that, that supports that philosophy. Mm -hmm. You know, if you've got a boss who doesn't like that philosophy, then I think that that would probably be difficult. But if you have a boss that is willing to, you know, understands that, look, get it, let's get it out. Let's try it and let's iterate. Yeah. Then I'm a huge proponent of that. And I'm going to push that, you know, wherever I go, yeah. uh, where, where, whatever sort of uh, project we're working on. 
And I think the team likes that too, because you know what? They don't feel micromanaged. They don't feel like every decision they make is going to be second guessed. You know, you don't have a graphic designer who's, who's freaking out because, Oh my gosh, did I pick the right image? Did I use the right logo here? I mean, obviously you want to use the right branding and things like that, but you know, there's just not that hesitation. And I think it builds confidence and it builds, it builds trust and, and it, and it just really, really takes the pressure off. And I think all those things are good in the long run. Yeah. We've had uh, great, great points. I want to come back to some of the points you made, which is I, I love the theme that, that perfect being the enemy of good. Uh, I certainly remember back in my career early on when I used to do a lot of direct mail and packaging. I ran marketing a company called Fairlawn. Mm-hmm. We later became Natopia. So we did tons. You know, retail was really big for us back then. So all of our products were in retail. And I remember just uh, what felt like a countless number of hours looking at the front and side and back of the packaging and reading all the copy and looking at everything and making sure that the kerning and the letting and everything just was like so dialed in. And, and to your point, you know, does anybody ever read that and look at that? And I don't want to underscore and say it's not important, but now look at some of today's packaging. Uh, and I'm going to make two points about Apple, right? I mean, Apple has like nothing on the outside of their packaging, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's stark and it's clean and that's always been their ID. What I was going to say about Apple, uh, because when you describe what you're describing, you're doing it because you're serving all these different constituents and you want to get stuff done to them. And if you took everything has to be perfect approach, you wouldn't get enough done and you'd end up disappointing the people that you're trying to serve. And, you know, maybe, hey, that campaign wasn't even going to be successful that you obsessed over. Um, when Apple was a client of Demand Gen, they used to be a client of ours and we did a lot of work for them uh, back in the day. I was, I had a lot of concern about the email marketing and work that we were going to be doing for them because I'm like, you know, how many turn cycles will this be in going through Apple? And you know what? They were really a delight to work with in our experience, even being digital. And the reason was they had done such a good job with their corporate style guides and all their documentation mm-hmm. and governance on how things need to be, that if you followed that and stuck to that, they were really good about uh, working with us and, and executing their campaigns. I thought that that was going to be really challenging for us, and it, and it wasn't. And it's actually more the companies that don't have a lot of governance and policy around um, their campaigns or even just, you know, using some really good best practice templates. The cycle time, the back and forth on that is, it, it, it can be endless until you just draw a line in the sand and say, I, I think this is good enough. Let's, let's go forward with it. You want everything, like you said, to render right and look right and not make marketing or sales or whoever the customer is uh, or the creator is look bad, but well, you, you can obsess uh, too, too much over it. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Like, I mean, when we, when we do something, we do it correct and we, and we make sure it looks fantastic and it's awesome and it's good to go, especially on the event side. I'm a little obsessive compulsive like you are on the event side. I, I sit with my event director all the time and we go through every single detail and I just want to make sure, you know, those are events are run correctly, but you know, for campaigns and things like that, I think it's best to just try. And, you know, like you said, you got to have a strong brand guideline and a strong sort of um, outline on, on how things should go and how things should flow and how things should look and feel. And we have that. And that sets us up for good success. And like you said, we have to do this because it's the position we're in. We're not, you know, we don't have a 40 person marketing team and we don't have unlimited dollars and we don't have, you know, one client that we're servicing. You know, we have multiple. So, you know, this is how we have to run the department. We have to be agile. And, and honestly, that's, it's our, my boss, Michelle, who's the president of the company. She wrote a book 
15 years ago, 10 years ago called agile marketing. Um, and it's really the philosophy that we follow. I did not know that was your CEO. I didn't know that. I know the book. Yeah. Uh, I believe I have the book. Yeah. And, and she wrote I, it. She wrote it when she was at CA. She was at CA for 17 years and wrote the book there. So cool. I'm going to dig that off my shelf. Uh, did not know that. Yeah. I, I bought that book. I don't remember if I read the whole thing, but uh, I'll have to go back and see how dog-eared it is and, and what it's there. I've got, as, I've got shelves and shelves of marketing uh, and leadership books. Uh, let's talk back more about B2C and B2B. So from your mm-hmm. experiences being in both sides of the world, agency life, and now internally, what do you think B2B marketers need to do differently, more of, less of, uh, from the success of, of B2C marketers, the way that they approach go-to-market? What could we be doing better as, as B2B folks? Yeah, one of the things that I think I picked up from the B2C side was trying to stay ahead of the curve from a technology and from a digital standpoint. You know, I obviously grew up in that world and, and that's, that's, that's a little bit more of my passion, but I have really tried to use AI um, you know, learning processing systems, you know, try to keep um, anything that we can do to keep fresh from a technology standpoint, I am, I will try. Um, you know, we, my team always comes to me with ideas on, you know, we, I just saw this, let's try it, let's do this. And I'm, and I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Um, you know, obviously we, you know, we have to make sure it fits in budget and things like that. But as long as it does that, it checks those boxes, you know, I can go to my, my boss and say, Hey, we're going to try this for, for three months, for six months. And, See if it works, and if it doesn't work, we'll move on. But if it does, then 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 more power to us. And we've had, you know, we've probably tried, let's say, in the past three years, we've probably tried twenty different SaaS products, and you know, we've kept maybe three to five of them. But you know what? I'm okay with that success rate because we found three to five really cool, interesting products that have helped us from a marketing standpoint. Have helped. Um, uh, lean process, you know, make processes more more fast, uh, or, or or sort of improve process speed. Um, have helped us develop more lead gen. Have helped us find new 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 partners. Helped us create new content. All those kinds of things have been really cool, and I think it's helped us stand out. You know, I think a lot of times marketing can get stagnant. You can sort of do the same things over and over again. You know, sort of oh, another year, let's do the same five or six things. We try not to do that. I try to make sure that our partners have something new each year they can look forward to, something new that we're bringing to them, um, you know, and, and something new that is going to help differentiate us in, in a marketplace where, like I mentioned earlier, everything is getting commoditized. And I think that's what happens in a B2C space, right? These companies, they have to do something different to stand out. Um, and a lot of times, look, B2C, it's easier to use social media. It's easier to be a little bit more informal. It's easier to be a little bit, you know, kitschy and, and have a little bit and push the envelope a little bit more. Yeah. But I think you have to do some of those things in the B2B world if you're going to stand out. Um, I'm not saying to be, you know, you don't want to be immature or anything like that. And you want to present a professional, you know, uh, air about yourself. But you also can be, you know, you can find times to be fun and to be authentic and to be a little bit whimsy, you know, have a little whimsy, a little bit carefree. Yeah. And, and you can do those kinds of things from a digital standpoint. And, they, and there's a lot of tools out there that will help you with that. And I think that's how we've tried to be with, you know, it, you know, we tried to mix the professionalism with the, with the sort of funkiness and, 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 and quirkiness. And we try, you know, we, we, that's kind of our brand too. It's a star to star. You know, we are 
everything here has a star name and all the products are named with star in them. We've got galaxies and constellations. I mean, so look, we're a little weird. (laughs) You know, when I first got here, when I first got here, I was like, oh man, this is so dorky. This is weird. This is nerdy. And then like, you know, about a year and I was like, you know what? This is kind of cool. Let's embrace it. Let's be different than everybody else. Let's, let's have, let's, let's, let's just go, let's just go to town with it. And I think that's been, that's been cool for us. That's great. Good, good advice. Uh, whether you want to call it B2B or B2C, at the end of the day, it's, it's B2I, right? Everybody is an individual yeah. and we can't take ourselves too seriously sometimes. I mean, you have to, you have to stick with the brand identity, right? Mm-hmm. In, Intel has a certain, if I say Intel is a corporation, you're going to think something. Uh, if I say Slack, uh, who, who just went public, uh, if you know the Slack culture and, and almost like cult-like following to their platform, uh, mm-hmm. th- these companies might market themselves or do market themselves very differently. However, if Intel brings out a new product and really wants that product to appeal to a certain audience, maybe the Intel brand uh, for that product line or, or that go-to-market strategy needs to look at the audience and, and be a little different, or they, they may not have the success um, or appeal that they're, that they're looking for. Yeah, speaking of Slack, it's doing really, it's doing very well today. By the way, <laughs> it, it, it is. I I spent some daddy daughter time this morning. So I, now, for anybody listening, you know this was Slack IPO day when David and I recorded this. <laughs> uh, so my daddy daughter time was waking up uh, with Emily at six and going through the stock market and explaining IPOs. And I I couldn't do a good job yeah. explaining this IPO and how. Um, you know, going direct to market is because we all have limited experience there. I think what just them and, and Spotify, but it was interesting yeah. to see her passion. She's like, you know, we use it and it's cool. I've used it at work and you know, it's really sticky. It's like, how could you ever get rid of emails? How could you? So she's, you know, as a consumer, as an investor going, I want to buy this stock because I think uh, it's going to be around and, and more and more people are going to be adopting it. It had nothing to do with their, you know, financials and profits yeah. and, and that type of stuff. As an investor, it's like, I, I just, you know, she's like, I'm going long on it. So she, she, she bought some Slack <laughs> well, that, stock this awesome. morning and, and hopefully she's, she's doing well. We'll check in the end of day. It was, it was some cool daddy daughter time. She's, she's 23. So for that anybody, awesome. you know, wondering, uh, no, I'm not taking her, you know, her, her, her lunch money. She this money she earned that she's investing. Uh, we'll see how Slack does. I think my five-year-old was more interested in what was happening on Paw Patrol. I don't think he was, I don't think he was too keen on Slack just yet. I'll have not to wait yet. a few more years. Yeah. A few more years. You, you, <laughs> your kids are much younger. Much yeah. younger. <laughs> So the point you were making about tech, which what you shared is, look, I'm a technology adoption person. You know, I want to try yeah. new tools. Uh, you, you embrace technology to find new ways to work uh, and go to market, and which I think is really cool. When you and I met at the B2BMX conference earlier this year, you heard a lot of people on stage and around the conference going, mm-hmm. we overspent, we're, we're, we're getting rid of our tech stack, we're consolidating. Shame on us for buying all these tools. And you know, my experience, it's not often the tool that fails people. It is the, you didn't think about the total cost of ownership. You didn't think that mm-hmm. nothing said it and forget it. So if you bought this analytics tool, well, you need to get your data in order. And if, and if you got to get your data in order, it doesn't stay in order, right? Hygiene is not a set it and forget it thing. So there's all these dependencies on getting success with technology. And a lot of people have retreated. Your message today is very, very unique than what's often being heard in the walls these days of marketing departments, which is we need to lessen our stack and not buy so much uh, technology. And I think that's a result of people 
being a little maybe too carefree in their investing and not thinking about that total cost of ownership. Because I'm right, I'm right there with you, David. I think that technology is, is enabling and empowering. And uh, take a look at digital, right? We didn't have digital not that quote long mm-hmm. ago. And if we hadn't been early adopters of digital, where would we be uh, today in both in our careers as well as the companies that we've made successful? So I, I love your belief that you got you to pilot stuff. You got to take some of your budget and just consider yourself an incubator for new technology and try things, but be thoughtful and intentional about what you're bringing in. And it really should tie to your goals, right? If you need to bump up acquisition, then invest in technology that helps you with acquisition. If you're having trouble with like conversion from leads to pipeline, invest time and tools in there. If you're having trouble with measurement, mm-hmm. you know, then invest tools in, in measuring. Right before this podcast, I was going deep for an hour and a half on a new uh, analytics platform that is coming to market out of Israel and spending time showing that to a couple of clients so they could get, you know, ask their questions and get feedback on it. Because I'm always on the quest for the right tools and technologies that are going to help us, uh, all of us grow. So cool message. I'm glad you were standing out in the crowd and saying, you know what? Tech's good. Let's, let's not, let's not uh, frown on technology. Let's just be responsible with it. Yeah. I mean, it's helped democratize the whole process, right? I mean, it makes it more affordable. It makes it more, you know, accessible. It makes it easier for us to do. I mean, I was just looking at it with my team earlier today, we were looking at a company that does sort of remnant space billboard advertising. And it's, you know, for us, it's not something we have ever really done. We haven't done a ton of outbound, you know, going out and trying to find customers. That's not been our MO. So, you know, it's something that we want to try. Um, and, and this company that we were looking at, they've made that whole process super simple. You can go out and you can buy billboard space and you can pick the times you want to do it and you can pick the cities and you can pick, you go down to the, like the billboard level and, and you can get analytics on how they performed and things like that. And it's like, this is perfect for us. It's, it's, it's really, it's like making billboards kind of like Google ads. And so, you know, that, that's something that we're interested in. So, and, and you know what, I found that via a Facebook ad, <laughs> at least honestly, wow. so, you know, uh, it, you're the it, only person it, I've ever it, known it, that clicked on a Facebook ad. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we, we, we pay for Facebook ads. Someone's got to click on them. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> hey, I thought it looked interesting. They were like, I don't know. I'll try it. We'll see. Take a look out. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't click on a lot of them, but uh, this one looked interesting. That's cool. Shout out to uh, Pat, who I just did a podcast with. I'm sure the episode has aired by now, but uh, Pat Oldenburg over at uh, ServiceMax, he was telling me that they've shifted a lot of their uh, online advertising budget over to LinkedIn. So if you've seen a ServiceMax ad, you can thank Pat and the team for that, because I've certainly seen the ServiceMax ads showing up quite a bit, certainly using their ABM approaches, because I've, I've been on their site uh, so, so you got to be experimenting. You got to try what works and mix it, yeah. mix it up. I got one last question for you. And by the way, before we wrap up, uh, David does his own podcast, great podcast called Heads in the Cloud. Uh, it was actually, as I said, Dave and I met at B2BMX. I had done, what, eight episodes there, eight podcasts there, live from the floor. Yeah. And as a fellow podcaster, you came over and said, what's this guy up to? And we got to know each other. And <laughs> you were you were nice enough to have me on your podcast, which I really enjoyed. And it was great to meet Graham and John. So if you guys are into he said UC before. If you don't know what UC is in David's world, that is Unified Communications. So if um, you want more on on b2c and marketing and some talks on unified communications check out the heads in the cloud podcast with david you guys do a great job 
yeah, we, we, we have a good time with it. And, and we try to keep it light and fun. And we talk about everything in the UC space, but then we also expand into just channel marketing. And we talk to a lot of different channel companies and what they're doing. So yeah, check us out. We have a good time. Definitely. Especially if you're a channel marketer, great, great tips. I've listened to a few episodes, your most recent one, uh, with, um, with Heather. It was, I think Heather, uh, Margaret. Yeah. Another person I met at the B2B MX show in uh, Phoenix and Heather and I have became, became very fast friends. Um, and we have done some work together now. So, cool. uh, uh, that B2B MX show is paying dividends. There you go. So you asked me on the podcast, and this is my last question. You asked me on the podcast, you asked me, what was my favorite sandwich? And I gave you the answer mm-hmm. and it was the patty melt as, as, as I'm sure you yes. know, because you were nice enough to send me a shirt on Amazon that said patty melt connoisseur, <laughs> which I wear regularly. Uh, and I am a patty melt connoisseur. So my question for you is not, I'm not going to go the food route, but I know that you're a big sports buff and you love sports. Yeah. Uh, so what's your favorite sport? Ah, I got to tell you, I would say the NBA. I'm a big NBA guy. Um, uh, and I, and I, you don't, you know, I don't know if you don't hear that a lot. I don't know. To me, it's the most fun. Um, but I'm, you know, I love to watch anything. I'm, I'm, uh, the women's world cup is on right now and, uh, the Americans are, they're beating Sweden two nothing. So I'm checking that out. But the NBA, because the league never stops. I mean, the draft is actually tonight. Um, there, the drama is all over the place. The players are, you know, funny there you have the most sort of interaction with the players um it's just the league is awesome i love it i'm a big orlando magic fan i grew up here in florida Uh, unfortunately the magic stink and they've stunk for the last like seven years and there appears to be little to no hope for us moving forward uh but you know i'm a passionate orlando magic fan and i guess i'll keep rooting and hopefully we'll we'll stumble upon another Shaquille O'Neal one day and then we'll, our fortunes will turn around. But um, yeah, I guess I would say, I guess I'd say my favorite sport is the NBA. All right. Well, Hey, you asked me favorite sandwich and I have a cool shirt and now I know your favorite sport. So you're just going to have to wait and see. <laughs> fun fact and fun story for those that want to stick around for just another Dave Lewis short story. This one's pretty funny. This is one of those most embarrassing uh, moments in life stories. You ready for this? So I live, by yeah. the way, uh, I'm in the Bay Area, so warrior country. Um, didn't, uh, end, yeah. didn't end as well as we hoped, uh, but here's my story. I went to a game, this was about two or three years ago, and I, I live in Danville. That's my hometown. And I live in the same town as Steph Curry and his wife, uh, Aisha. Uh, but three years ago, I had, you know, I, I, I would never, well, I'll just tell the story. <laughs> I'm downstairs in the bottom of the, uh, the uh, arena and I'm going to an ATM to get some money because, you know, everything's super expensive there. And um, went to go get some cash. And right next to the ATM is a very attractive woman standing there with these yellow pumps and they're these like super bright yellow pumps and then you know the warrior fans get really decked out mm-hmm. so i'm looking down at the ground because i'm kind of looking at the keypad of the atm and i'm entering the information i see her standing i'm like wow those are some really cool shoes you really dressed up for the night and she's like you know you got to sport the colors and i'm like yep you do so ding 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 i'm working on the atm and a guy walks up to her and uh he goes hey can i grab a, a picture big fan and i'm like oh she must be celebrity um you know someone i didn't recognize and so then I'm just, you know, entering, finishing up with the, the money and uh, someone else walks up and he goes, hey, can I get a picture? Big fan and, or something like that. And she's like, sure. And I go, so I just got to say, like, you know, I, I guess I should recognize you. I, I don't. But um, 
apparently a lot of people want to take pictures with you. Should I be taking a picture with you? And she goes, probably my <laughs> husband. And I go, who's your husband? She goes, Steph Curry. And I'm like, oh, such an idiot. Like, didn't recognize Steph's wife. And now I'll always recognize uh, her because um, that was that was an intimate and embarrassing uh, situation. And I told my wife and she's like, you're such an okay. idiot. <laughs> that's all I got as far as NBA stories. I got nothing better than that for a guy who loves the NBA. But, you how, know, I'll, I'll support. How, how do you feel about the Warriors movement moving into San Francisco, moving into the Bay Area? I'm not a fan at all. It's not that I'm a no. fan of Oakland. I live in the East Bay. And it's anybody listening right now knows that getting out of San Francisco or getting into San Francisco is a nightmare. So for like giant fans, when mm-hmm. they go into the city for games, it's crazy. Uh, to get in. And now there's going to be another arena with another. So, you know, there's a lot of basketball games per year and that's going to bring a just tremendous amount of traffic to the bridges and to the city. So I'm not a fan. And uh, it's not that I love the Oakland arena. It's not like it's not tired. It it is. Uh, But no, I'm, I'm not, I've never been a season ticket holder. The only time I've ever owned season tickets was for the Sharks, the very first year uh, of of their league at the Cow Palace. So we'll see. But uh, we digress here on DeBanGen Radio. Let me wrap it up and say, David, (laughs) thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for sharing your insights on on, uh, the work that you guys are doing there and that agency mindset and that, you know, I loved it. Perfect is the enemy of good. Just get it done, serve the people you're serving and move on to the next campaign uh, or the next project, the next piece of collateral, whatever it is. But we'll be in touch, as you know. And hey, one day, uh, check your mailbox, Mister Mister NBA Lover. We'll see. We'll see what shows up. <laughs> well, well, Dave, thanks so much for having me. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, your comp- demand gen as a team has been fantastic to work with, and hopefully, we can we can do some more work in the future. And uh, I'm sure our paths will cross again at future events. So um, I look forward to spending some more time with you. No doubt. Thank you, David. Yeah, thanks for bringing us together. It's been it's been cool to start aligning uh, the teams. And uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Everybody, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being loyal listeners over summer when you're traveling around the world, maybe getting back on your on your workout schedule or laying there by the pool somewhere, someplace in the world, listening to Demand Gen Radio. Appreciate it. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. 